Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. claps for announcements. We love them. Hey, welcome to this Sunday. This is our third part of a series in the book of Job. And if you're here for the first time, you're like, why Job? That's no one wants to start with that book. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, we began this journey and we're just kind of dropping in from time to time because here at Refuge, we do this thing called, we follow the lectionary. And it sounds like an old school word, which it is. It's been around for a couple hundred years, but there are marked passages for every single Sunday of the year, and it's a three-year cycle, and the hope is that if you follow the lectionary, you will have the full scope of Scripture in three years. And we do this mainly because it gives us a pattern, but it also aligns us with Christians all around the world that are doing this. So there are churches all around the world today that are opening up the same exact passage of Scripture. So there's some good solidarity that we share with them. But when we jumped into Job a couple weeks ago, I told you a quick story about hermit crabs. And the idea about hermit crabs is you need to get a bigger shell in order to grow. That's like the moral of the story from a couple weeks ago. I told a quick story about my friend uh, Preston, whose daughter Piper bought new hermit crabs, and his was bigger than hers, and then hers died because hers was growing too much, left its shell, tried to get into the bigger shell, and that one took care of its business. And there was all kinds of fragments and blood and everything. It's just, it was a nasty story. I never saw a picture, but my mind has done wonders with what that might have looked like. Uh, But the idea for us today as Christians is sometimes we have shells from our past that we were a part of, and there are these places in our lives, these marked moments for us that we need to have growing moments. Where is it that we sense how God is shaping us to this day? Whether today is the first time that you're considering following Jesus or you've been on mission and journey with him for a long time, I, particularly me, do not want to exist in the same place I was at 20 years ago. And my, my thought is, I bet it's the same for you. And there are things that God did in the past that were super formative and helpful, but he has continually given us opportunity to journey with him and to see him and to be awoken into his presence. And so the book of Job is one of these foundational passages of scripture where it's really challenging. Because when we opened it up a couple weeks ago, we learned the quick story, as you remember, it's this narrative and it's this lens for which people have viewed the world of how do you deal with pain in your life? What do you do when things happen? What do you do when evil actually is there? And we remember the story about the little bet that God had with one of his adversarial angels, if you will. Some people call him or her Satan, um, but we can't have the vision of The person with a pitchfork and red horns, that's not a helpful image for us. Thank you, Dante, from way back in the day. Um, But more than anything else, it's this storyline that people who have aligned themselves with God for a millennium, and scholars would say the book of Job is the oldest, oldest scripture writing in the Bible that we have, even predates Genesis. And you're like, how does that work? Great question. But that's not for today. So when Job opens up, we learn about this faithful man named Job. Everything has been taken away from him in chapter 1, and he still believes in God. And then the adversarial angel comes in to the throne room before God and says, well, you know, let's 
let's mess with him physically. I've taken away all his livestock, his land, and I've even taken his kids. His ten kids have died. And I know we can read over it quickly, but could you imagine the pain that is facing Job? And when Job encounters chapter 2, as the narrative tells us, now it's him who is suffering. There are things happening to him physically that cause him to take pieces of pottery and scrape the sores on his skin. And he has torn his clothes and he is sitting in a pile. And his friends show up in chapter 2. He's got three friends. And they say, from a distance off, they could sense the pain that Job was having. And sometimes we need friends to show up in our midst of pain. But as we looked at last week, so many of Job's friends offer bad advice. I don't know if you've been around friends like this before. If they've ever said things to you that are really not helpful at all. And I told stories last week about what that could look like. And sometimes it happens on Facebook. I know this crazy world out there. Have you, have you ever dabbled in there? But sometimes people say stupid things on Facebook. It's possible. I know. But sometimes when we're going through the midst of our pain, we want to we get out of it so quickly, and we'll give like a hallmark um, quick phrase, and we hope it takes care of all the pain that we're experiencing. But if you and I are honest with ourselves, we realize that sometimes this place that we live called the world, this earth, is filled with pain that we don't even know what to do with, and it weighs us down. And so we, we find a lot of solidarity with a person like Job, because we ask the question over and over again, why? Why did this happen? I've told you stories that have even happened in my world over the past few weeks. People that I'm close to, friends who texted me a couple weeks ago and told me that her mother-in-law died, even though we had been praying. And then there's the person who gets the cancer treatment and is going through it. And someone texted me who was watching our service online last week and asked for prayer because there's a family member who's going through the worst of the worst right now. And we have these stories, and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer in this moment, but there is the world that can so quickly close in around us, and we wonder, how is it that I am supposed to believe in God in the midst of all the things that weigh me down? And so when Job hangs out with his friends in the book of Job, they give him the kinds of advice that the, the world gives today. And I said something last week, and I hopefully I offended you. Hopefully that came across right. And I even heard it last night on the TV as we were watching something with my kids. There's a preview for something that's coming out. And they said this phrase that happens everywhere. And I don't like the phrase, and it's not true. And if you say it, and I warned you last week, and if you are saying this kind of phrase, stop it. And the phrase is this, everything happens for a reason. And that's not true. Because if we're honest, really, we assume that one day we're going to get to a place where we can go in the back room with God and be like, God, would you please help me understand why this happened? And he might give us perspective. But my guess is that in eternity, I'm not going to be so concerned with those things. But nor do we ever get a sense in Scripture that God's going to give the reason. Because sometimes it's just really, I mean, imagine if you were to get an answer to the question, well, why cancer? 
And we assume that it's because we live in this cause-effect world. If I, do my good, if I do good works, then I'm going to get good works out of it, correct? Like, we teach our kids this in school. If you do the homework correctly and you perform well on the test, then you'll get the good grade. And we assume this is how life works all the time. So when you ask big questions like, why cancer? Would it, would it appease us in our soul if we heard things like, well, you ran that stop sign? That really wouldn't do it, right? And I know I'm, I'm dancing on a little, like, uh, uh, you know, tough category here because there's probably not a person in this crowd, even watching online, that hasn't had someone near us affected by cancer. Or, or other things, divorce, or the pain that just continues to travail our world. And we assume that there's an answer for it, and sometimes there's not. Much like the book of Job, and we're about to open up in Job chapter 38. So if you've got a Bible with you, whether one with pages or perhaps on your phone, you can turn there. Because Job's friends give bad advice, because they say to him things like, well, you probably sinned somewhere, Job, and it's your problem and your fault. And I'm not going to shy away from the fact that there probably have been things in my life, in your life, sins that we have committed that do cause us some pain and tribulation. But then there are other things that happen that we don't get the answer for, and we probably never will. But as Job has learned... He's got to see his way through the bad advice of his friends. And he continues to complain himself, and he says some stupid things. And it's a really honest book. And then we get to chapter 38. And this is where God finally speaks. And I shared with you a couple weeks ago, how do you read a book like the book of Job? And it's not unlike the stories that we have in our world today. And I pointed out that if you were to watch a movie and on the credits as it began, it began to scroll with, in a galaxy far, far away, you know exactly what's happening, whether you like Star Wars or not. But you know that it's a little bit of a lens. It's like, I need to be able to step back from this and realize that it's not reality, but it at least can pronounce some understanding of reality. And I shared with you last week, some of you are about to start watching Christmas movies, whether you have or not. Yet, already. Christmas movies, like A Christmas Carol, where we understand that there's these three ghosts that visit this person named Ebenezer Scrooge, and I don't know what version of the movie you like. It doesn't matter. But are we all visited by three ghosts like that? How do you help kids understand this? My kids are like, are we going to have a ghost visit us? And you're like, I don't think that's really how it works. But do you get the moral arc of the story? that was being written by Charles Dickens when he's saying things like, don't waste your life. Would you actually spend the resources that God has given you to bless others? Like this is a storyline from a movie that we love to watch at certain times of the year. And so when we pick up the book of Job, some of us are like, did it really happen this way? And you're like, maybe, but it doesn't matter because it gives us a moral understanding of how God interacts with us in the midst of the pain that we go through. So finally, in chapter 38, God speaks. And this is what he says. I'm not going to read the entire chapter because it's, it's long. I encourage you to continue reading Job 38 and beyond. But this is what the Lord says to Job 
after he spent 37 chapters complaining with his friends. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On where, on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Jump down to verse 28. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Those are two birds in the morning, by the way. Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? And when the dust becomes hard and the clouds of earth stick together, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? And that is where our reading ends today. But I encourage you to continue reading because in the full scope of God's interaction with Job in this moment, he's going to ask 60 questions of Job. And they are rhetorical questions, and those are kinds of questions that we love because we don't have to give an answer, but we feel guilty about them. And I don't know the angle that you would have, and I'm not even sure I read it correctly. And scholars disagree on the tone of God in this moment. Is God mad? Is he frustrated? Is he being a little sarcastic? Perhaps, but sometimes we don't need a sarcastic God to get his point across, but I imagine it like this. I imagine the interaction like God who has heard for 37 chapters Job and his friends say all the wrong things, that he's going to come back in with some gentleness and tenderness. And perhaps if he was close to Job over a cup of coffee, if that's a place of warmth for you, maybe even it is like when I am with my 10-year-old, 11-year-old, shoot, she's a year older, 11-year-old, and things aren't going well. And some of the things that she needs in that moment is to sit on my lap and for me to talk to her in a way that she can get. 
It's not yelling, and I have done that, and I'm not proud. But it's in these moments of gentleness and tenderness with my kids that I'm reminding them about the reality that they don't see. And God is speaking to Job, were you there? Were you there when I put things into motion? I don't think you understand that there's actually a bigger story going on here, Job, than just yours. And sometimes our pain feels so encompassing that we assume it's the only thing going on. And I'm not diminishing the pain that we experience and, and feel, but it's, there's a bigger story. And how is it that God is interacting with his people from time to time and throughout the ages? And when I read a passage like this, and some scholars say this is another version of how God created things. And it's a helpful look. If you love Genesis 1 and 2, how God put the, motion, uh, how put the world into motion, this is a helpful look, Gen uh, Job chapter 38 and beyond, of how God spoke things into existence, and he lays it out a little bit more specifically than we get in the book of Genesis. But what I love about this passage is how it allows Job to take that step backwards and gain perspective. Because sometimes some of us in our pain need to have perspective. It's not unlike some, some advice I gave to a friend this week who's going through it, going through it really hard right now. And it's interpersonal pain. It's not pain of something that's happened to them specifically, but it's just friendship pain, relationship pain. And I just said, hey, why don't you take a couple days and turn your phone off? Would you take this weekend and not even check social media? I know it's a crazy thought. Would you hide some alerts on some of your conversations? I don't know if you know about that ability. That's really cool. You don't have to receive every text message whenever it comes through. You can respond to it on your own time. But sometimes we need space to be able to hear God's voice yet again because sometimes the voice of our phones and our computers and our engagement with this world is also consuming that all we see is right what's here. And God's saying, hey, Job, would you step back with me and look what I have done and what I am doing? And it reminds me of a story that I was told recently about wolves. You didn't see that coming, did you? Yes, I said wolves, like a wolf, not a sheep that has something called wool, wolves. Because I learned a story, I don't know if you've ever been to this place called um, Yellowstone, it's pretty magical, and I went there for one day last year with my family as we were driving home from Montana on our way back to Southern California, and all we could give was one day, and I know those of you who've been there, you're like, you did it wrong, and I know we did, but for one day we saw it, and it was amazing. But in the 1920s, almost 100 years ago, the last wolves were hunted in Yellowstone. For 75 years, there were no wolves in Yellowstone. Until 1995, when they brought back a little over 30 wolves to the park. And I want to read to you the words of a guy named George Monbiot, who is an investigative journalist, who gave a TED Talk on this a few years ago. And he told about the effects of bringing wolves back to Yellowstone. So stay with me. One of the most exciting and um, scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. 
A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we all know the wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. It sounds strange, but just follow me for a while. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 plus years. The number of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park, and despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They had grazed it all away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effect. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges, and immediately those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in six years. Bear Valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds, of migratory birds, started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built and the rivers provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes. And as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. Bears fed on it too. And their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears it reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. But here's where things get really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers in Yellowstone National Park. They began to meander less, the rivers that is. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves, and the reason was that the regenerating forest stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was less soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but it also changed its physical, physical geography. Now, why in the world would I tell you about the wolves of Yellowstone National Park? Because there's something to be said that there is a grander story going on all around us all the time. 
And sometimes we need to step back from what we are experiencing in the, the harshest of painful moments. Put the phone down, turn the computer off, don't even watch YouTube anymore, but to go on a walk and be reminded of how God has created this world. Some of you have told me stories about the most healthy places that you go, places like the beach and places like the mountains. And there's something to be said about just being able to be outdoors to remind ourselves of how grand the story is that God has put into motion by creation, but also to perhaps remind us that we are not the only story going on. And again, it's not to minimize the pain that Job experienced or perhaps even to minimize the pain that you and I are going through from time to time. It's to step back and to put life into perspective. So when God sits with Job and reads and says to him things like, were you there in the beginning when I put it all together? And Job, of course, like my 11-year-old, who must answer the rhetorical question, no. Job has no escape. And he has to be able to realize that in the midst of everything that has gone on in his life, that there is so much more going on around him. And again, it's not because we need to compartmentalize our pain and say, guess I just got to grin and bear it, and I got to put on the happy face, and I got to tell everybody online that everything's great. In the midst of our pain, sometimes the best thing that we need to do is to go for a walk. Sometimes we need to go for a run, perhaps. Sometimes we need to get away from the things that so easily distract us from reminding us of God's presence. Because scholars have said, even though this is the oldest book in Scripture that we have, there is reason for it. That God knew this world would be painful. That God knew our stories would be filled with pain. But what he offers to Job is not a quick fix. He offers himself. He offers himself as his presence to say, I know what you're going through right now is hell, but I have not left you, and I will not. And sometimes we ascribe to God an attribute that is not true. We say to him, oh, you're so far away, there's no possible way that you could know what I'm going through. But lest we forget, it is God, the creator of the world, who put things into motion, who also sent his son to die on a cross, who experienced pain and rejection of all kinds, so that when he interacts with us today, he is a God who is not aloof to the pain that this world has. And he's not distant anymore. What's interesting to me, and I'm going to give you one more, next time you're on Jeopardy and someone asks you or says something and you don't know what to say, here's, here's what you should say about the book of Job. If perhaps the, the question comes like, what name of God was used for God for the first 37 chapters of the book of Job? And here's the answer. L. E-L. This is a generic version of God's name. This is what, this is probably, I'm going to really mess some of you up right now. This is probably the version of God that we put on our money. When we say things like, in God we trust, it's just this version of a God that's far out there that put things into motion. But do you know the name of God that shows up in chapter 38 and beyond for the first time? It's the name Yahweh. 
And Yahweh is a way different name for God than El because Yahweh is a rescuing, redeeming, reclaiming, and fixing God. So for 37 chapters, the words that, that Job and his friends used was God, like a God. But when God finally shows up in 38, he reminds Job of his name and his character and his nature. And he says, I am Yahweh. I am the one who rescued your ancestors from Egypt. I am the one that brought them from 400 years of slavery. And it's the name Yahweh. Whether you know Hebrew or don't, you don't. This is the name that sustains the people of God for centuries. And it still can be sustaining for us today if we have a concept for how God works. That yes, there is pain in this world, but Yahweh is with us. And that is good news for so many of us when we're going through the hardest of hard times. So I'm not sure what version of the story that you're listening to. I don't know the pain that you are experiencing. Some of you have shared. Some of you have told me. If you want to grab coffee, like Pastor Nikki said earlier, I would love to hear. Not because I'm just like a, a glutton for painful moments, but part of my calling as a pastor is to stand with people in the midst of what they're going through as a representative for this Yahweh God who has not forgotten. And my encouragement to you, if everything around you is wrong, I want you to go for that walk. I want you to go find the forest. Heck, here in Orange County, there's even some redwoods. And I'll show you where they're at. Go to the beach. Watch how the waves come and go. And look up on your phone if you want how the tidal waves work and when it's going to be low tide and high tide. And you're like, mind blown. I can do so much. Like I can fill my, gas, my car with gas and I can get like my homework done and I can, I can pull off dinner. There's no way I can pull off the tides. No way I can do those things. And that's where I'm at in Job 38 with a reminder of God in his grandeur, in his Yahweh-ness, that he has not forgotten his people, that he sits there and stands there with us in the midst of our pain. And he wants to remind us that he's big. He's, he's in control. But he also loves. And he's with us through it all. So would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, sometimes it's really helpful for us to gain perspective. And Job 38 is one of these perspective-shaping chapters where if we're honest with ourselves, the, the pain and the evil that so easily closes in on us can be all-consuming. And our minds and our anxiety Bike. But, oh, Heavenly Father, would you lead us to greener pastures, not because of what's next door is better, but because when we're outdoors, we're able to see how you have creatively put this world together. Help us to be able to step back and take stock of what you are doing. That even, even though we are walking through some hard times, you have not forgotten, and you are with us. Yahweh, would you come 
and meet us again today. In your name we pray, amen. I want to invite you to stand and worship one final time with our worship team.
Notice it when I opened up Job chapter 38, the way it begins. And if you could put verse 1 on the screen, Rachel, that would be amazing. This is what it says. Then Yahweh spoke to Job out of the storm. Some of you are going through the storm right now. And even as that song has washed over us, may you be reminded that Yahweh speaks through the storm. I also said something at the end of my sermon that I don't agree with. And I just played it through my mind and I said it wrong and I need to fix it. I said something to the effect of God is in control. Which plays into what we always assume with things like everything happens for a reason. Because our assumption is the pain that we experience, God controlled it, he gave it to us, he passed it on that's not true here's what I know about God's character and I said it flippantly and quickly and you got to forgive me moments it's like the anxiety of public speaking I don't know if you've ever been there you just say things and it sounds nice we should put it in a card like God's in control that's not true God is sovereign and sovereign is different than in control it means that in the midst of the things that we go through the storms of our lives the pain that we experience God is able to redeem and reclaim and fix. So as you leave this place, stop saying things like everything happens for a reason. It's not true. You can even stop saying God is in control. Say things like God's sovereign. God's sovereign over Job's story. God's sovereign over the storms of our lives. And God is sovereign over today. May you go for that walk. May you see the ocean side and the trees and the mountains and the hills and all around you. And remember, God is sovereign. So peace be with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday here at Refuge. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.